0: What's up, nerds? It's November 15th, 2017.
1: And this is episode 16 of Book Nerds.
0: Read-along podcast where we pick a book and read about 150 pages a week, discussing things as we go until we're
1: finished. Then we pick another book and do it all over again. I'm Matt Shabody,
0: And I'm Danielle Bryan. And this week we're discussing pages 136 through the end of Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. But first... Hey, Matt, what you reading?
1: What am I reading? I have just decided to keep rolling on the Nick Cutter train after enjoying The Troop so much. I have moved on to his second book, I believe, called The Deep, detecting a trend here, um, and it was good. Mm. It, a lot of people, it's kind of a love or hate book. Even if people loved The Troop, it leans very heavily on its influences, which are The Abyss, John Carpenter's The Thing, Aliens and probably also the movie Event Horizon. So it's spooky, spooky times in the deep, deep ocean at the bottom of the sea. So, Is it as gross? Yes and no. I would, I would say it's still definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, but I don't think it's as intensely gross as the Troop. But yeah, it's not. So I will
0: still skip it.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, but no worms in the eyes. Um. Good to know. Not, not in the eyes. No. <laughs>
0: Ew. Yep, I'm out.
1: Um, But yeah, so I read that. That was good. Um, And then I'm starting. It's. I think I'm just gonna be in one of those phases where I roll through everything the man has written, just because. So I'm reading another book by him called The Acolyte. um, That is. It seems interesting so far. It's sort of like Fahrenheit 451, but if instead of books being outlawed, it was religion. Um, So it's sort of a strange like. You know, near future where the religious right has come to power and the protagonist is on the uh, religious crimes division of the police force. So it's a little bit different, not quite so much a straight horror as his other two, but still really enjoyable. Awesome. Yeah, how about you? What are you reading? So
0: I just finished this book, Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Dandler, and it had really great and really awful reviews. People either loved it or hated it. So it was set in New York in uh, 2006, I think, at a time where she was just, Twenty two, our protagonist moving to New York, and she gets a job at the hottest restaurant in Times Square or somewhere close to Times Square. I think I made up the Times Square part. Anyway, it's <laughs> in like your hottest head, it's in Times Square in New York City. I don't know where that came from uh at the time. And anyway, it was so I usually don't like a book that's about like, say, a twenty two year old girl woman it's just not really an age that I'm into it's why I'm one of the only people that doesn't like girls I think it just stresses me out and it's so self-absorbed but this was set in the world of fine dining so it just reminded me of when I moved to Chicago and like got my first fine dining job and it was just so evocative of that time where it really was kind of fun when you'd go on your shift like now I think of waiting tables and I want to die but then you'd show up and like your best friends were also scheduled that night And you just kind of kicked in and did it together. And then, you know, you'd roll to the neighborhood bar that was close by that really would stay open just because all the restaurant people would just dump into there at the end of the night. So that was a really fun read for me. Um, Oh, and then, so you know in our show description how it says we read everything from high literature to hot trash? Yes. Yes. (laughs) You've been on the hot trash train? So I have decided... I've been on the hot trash train. So, for a while, like last year when the real world was stressing me out, I kind of went on this weird, like, murdery binge read. And that didn't really make me feel better. What? I was That's to a true of mine. I know. She switches back and forth between what she just dubs vampire porn and then the Pulitzer Prize list. So, <laughs> she reads the vampire porn to escape real life. And then when she gets to a point where she just despises herself, she goes and she picks something off the Pulitzer list. Man, that sounds so like awful behavior. Sure that, yeah, I'm sure the title of what I read it was so fucking terrible. Um, "Sweet Ruin," an Immortals After Dark novel. It's a standalone, so it's not really part of the series by Cressley Cole. I,
1: <laughs> oh my god! Writing
0: was it was so bad that I will admit to you and our listening friends that I just skipped most of the book. And I was just like, whatever. And I just read all the sexy bits and got to the end. It was like a 45 minute read. It was awful. Ugh. so.
1: But did, but did it improve your mood? I
0: was reading. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Like nothing could be as bad as, you know, throbbing vampire members. Like it was just something. (laughs) So there is a whole like, sub-genre of romantic literature that's out there that is just like the undead hump
1: oh god is that like do you think is that like the twilight trickle down effect
0: probably but then it's like uh less yearning and more more boning ripping of yes (laughs) ripping of buttons and bodices yes (sighs) Anyway, after I sort of read it, I now look at my girlfriend a lot differently. So uh, you're
1: like, interesting. you're (laughs) a a complex character, my friend.
0: Yeah. If I ever see you and your earbuds are in and I know that like you were listening to something on Audible, I'm now having like, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. What am I interrupting? So uh, that was good times. See, it made me in a good mood. It was terrible writing. Sorry, Cressley, if that is your real name your parents made up when you were born uh, sorry if I offend but yeah you lighten my mood so thanks
1: Nice. that reminds me I actually have been listening uh, through audible one of their free random daily free downloads was this book called the land founding a lit RPG saga um, by the author's name is Alaron Kong again if that is your real name <laughs> um <laughs> So this is really strange because it's a fantasy sort of, it's a fantasy story, but apparently it's of this genre that I had never heard of before called lit RPG, which, follow me here, is basically someone taking a role-playing game, a la Dungeons & Dragons or World of Warcraft, and then writing it in a literary style. So... A la Lord of the Rings. But within the literary narrative, the like nerdy stat element of the game is still there. So your protagonist levels up and has like dexterity and strength and all of the weird little stat things that you keep track of in video games or RPGs. And I think if I was reading it in a book, it would drive me batshit crazy. But In the Audible version, it's actually kind of entertaining and there's like little sound effects for all the strange. So it's like listening to a weird hybrid of (laughs) like a book, but also a video game. I don't know. It's really weird, but it has also been a nice just passive sort of I don't I can kind of shut my brain off and go along for the ride sort of journey. So, yeah, that's been keeping my mood afloat lately, too.
0: It's your vampire.
1: Hey, some people have vampire porn. Some people have audio. D&D
0: fanfic. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> well, that yeah, I think that just goes to show that we all need a little escape right now. Yes.
1: It can't it can't all be high literature all the time.
0: No. Not when life is so hard. Hey, let's jump in.
1: Yeah, let's, let's talk, talk about,
0: about uh hurdles
1: all the way down.
0: I found the second half of this book more engaging than the first half. Do tell. I think I cared more. Kind of my deal with John Green is uh normally I do sit and like read them in one like if I'm on vacation or on an airplane or something right it's like a really good one to read and just like knock out in one long sitting and there's usually some point where I'm aware that I'm like crying and sniffling next to a neighbor I was actually thinking last time I was like "Eh, I didn't really have like my cry spot in this um but I did cry and like tear up at like multiple points you know in the second half when Aza's having her breakdown and her fights and her you know when the therapist is telling her you will get through this. And then I guess I was, it was just that catharsis <laughs> that I was waiting for in the first half. Cause that's part of the experience for me and John Green. Um Yeah. Like,
1: so you, know, gonna, you, you know, you know, it's it. going to happen and you're just waiting for like, okay, when, where, where is this coming? When's it going to happen?
0: Yeah. But I couldn't figure out like how it was going to happen. So then I realized, Oh, you know, I do really care enough about Holmesy that when she deteriorates and how can your heart not break for her
1: yeah oh my gosh and i think they did a really good job of building her condition and you know her compulsion that it starts out as sort of a quirk of her character and it's kind of a thing that you're like oh yeah like we all have our own little quirks and but as we see it progress and worsen to the point where she's just swallowing down globs of hand sanitizer. And it just is oh heartbreaking.
0: It was. It made me feel bad for playing so fast and loose with her OCDs in our first episode. But again, I think our reactions were much like friends and family where she was just kind of like quirky and annoying. And you just don't have that idea yet because she could have remained that forever. Right. Mm-hmm. But something did tip and push her over the edge. So you never really know, I think, when someone's Little nervous OCD really does become something where they are drinking down hand sanitizer and re ripping open their lacerated livers in the hospital. Oh, the fact while that
1: she can't they know, stop. like a very conscious part of their brain is saying, Don't do this, like you know, this is bad, you know, this isn't what you need to be doing. But then the other part that you can't control is saying, No, this is absolutely what you have to do.
0: Her fight with her demons was fascinating from an outside perspective i wonder how i would assume that john green has either like dealt with some form of this himself or of course met with someone and spoken with people who have been through this so he's giving an accurate representation of at least someone's experience but it was very uh interesting to see those fights between her and herself
1: yeah and that's i mean to have that sort of your demon or your enemy be inescapable because it it, well it's you and I think, I think John Green did a really good job of putting us in that situation. For those of us who haven't had the pleasure of experiencing that, um, can now hopefully relate to people and have that moment where you're like, oh, maybe this is more than just a quirky tick and have a little bit of empathy for people in that situation.
0: It's interesting to to see how Daisy dealt with it with her character. Are we going to say her name, Ayala?
1: Yeah, it sounds In her fanfic?
0: Right. Yeah, and how the liberty she was able to take once she realized too that for years Aza wasn't reading it. So I know she says that the character took on a life of her own, but to have that, it almost became like her diary, right? So the place that she could go and work out all the trials and tribulations of what it was like to be best friends with this person who had all of these ticks and who really did because of them understandably, but still actually fall prey to her own, uh, just selfishness and her own self awareness and her inability, I think, to always see outside of that bubble
1: yeah to I mean to deal with that sort of copious navel gazing from your best friend and basically turned her fanfic into her therapy sessions where she can can unpack and just sort of be like, okay, here's where i I get to you know call out the things I would never say to my friend because she's my friend, and so I hold my tongue and I tolerate her because she's my friend and I love her, but also These things annoy me. So I'm going to exercise those demons into this fiction.
0: It's so funny, too, because to do a little bit of like navel gazing on the part of the author, you have Aza as this double literary character because she is compulsive and super interesting within her own fictional story. And then within her fictional story, another character has made her an even one level deeper as another fictional character. So bottom line is Asa makes for good fiction.
1: Yeah. T- turtles all the way down, right?
0: Yay. The title <laughs> of the story that poor... You
1: got that you got that moment movie. where you're like, oh, there it is.
0: <laughs> there it is. And then if they make the movie of this, as they are apt to do with John Green, uh, it's going to be that moment where like Daisy, everyone's
1: grandma turns to them and says, oh, that's the name of the movie.
0: I know, but at least he added fucking. So she can kind of like that actress, uh, assuming it's going to be a film. Let me flip to it really quick. So at least the actress that's playing her gets to say, um, so Daisy says, and the old woman says, sir, you don't understand. It's turtles all the way down. I laughed. It's turtles all the way down. It's turtles all the way fucking down, Holmesy. You're trying to find the turtle at the bottom of the pile, but that's not how it works. So at least when she says it, she can like put all of her like, ugh, I got the title <laughs> in my line into that turtles all the fucking way down. So yeah. good on him for making that better. It's nice that it's uh, an, enlight- an enlightening moment to her, too, where she's trying to find an answer to a puzzle that has no answer.
1: Yeah, it's a great little moment. And you're just sort of there with them of like, yep, that's what it is. So shit. <laughs> but that was good. And I think uh, we, we pretty much predicted that a little bit last week. So good on us. Uh, pat ourselves. You were excellent
0: to remember the story. Yes. The well-known story that I didn't know.
1: Yeah, and I think it was, <laughs> the we linked to the Wikipedia last week. In. I think it was, is it Bertrand Russell, I think is the scientist that is allegedly the one giving the lecture as the story goes. I don't know. It's in the Wikipedia. Look it up.
0: And then there's some, what, random woman that like steals the thunder of the entire scientific lecture.
1: Yeah, I imagine she has like some very uh, loud hand-crocheted scarf involved. I don't know why, but in my mind that's what, made probably a bit of a patchouli stench about her. <laughs>
0: And we look at her and write her off as being a nut job, but really, she's the crazy seer who brought that nugget of truth to the meeting. Shakespeare knows her well.
1: Speaking of Shakespeare, you're probably a little more versed in the Shakespearean text than myself. What did you pick up on with the whole Tempest thing in here? Because we have that scene where at the very beginning when they first run into Davis and uh, Daisy says, like, oh, my God, it's, your tr- it's true love after all. It's going to be just like The Tempest. And then we find out later that all of Davis's journal entries that are about Aza all lead with quotes from The Tempest. I'm not super familiar with that one. Are you?
0: Maybe it's just because it has that storm that, like, Prospero creates, and so people thought that that character of Prospero was a reflection of Shakespeare. So he was kind of self-aware within the story, which maybe, like, John Green is within our story or Aza in you know maybe Aza's Prospero even though I know it's a romance she'd be one of the people that ends up happily ever after but it is like a storm of her own making whether or not you know she was conscious that she was doing it and it's the storm that set the entire plot into action so maybe we can just think that her neuroses is the storm but then she would also end up being a Miranda I guess who ends up married and happy at the end But she doesn't really in this story. I don't know. Let's just take it with the storm. I think her neuroses in the storm.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could also just, I guess, go with the fact that, you know, Daisy created that story because they shipwrecked on his island, right? And Davis just being this hyper literate little romantic emo guy that he is just takes it and runs with it. And so then therefore is just inspired that everything about Aza is the Tempest because it is a romance.
0: And it is a constantly roiling plot line, so nothing about their relationship has been easy.
1: Yes, I like it. I'll accept that.
0: Uh, What do we think about Russell Pickett's death?
1: Dude, what was up with that? Like, okay, (laughs) I'm sorry, but you you got this guy who, by all outward appearances, was a pretty smart guy. Like, he might have been pretty skeezy, but he seems like he was pretty smart, and he clearly planned this whole escape. And he didn't think about what to do after he gets in the tunnel.
0: And he doesn't have any. I,
1: like no sleeping bag? No no jacket? Like, or no ability
0: to just like go be a homeless person on the street and like beg. I mean, phones still exist. Like call his lawyer or beg a quarter. I don't know. It was so. Am I not remembering what season this book was in? Are we like on the North Pole? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was of
1: winter. Like spring fall like nowhere was there hinted at at least that i caught on that it was blizzarding and raging outside
0: and they went to that art party when they found him
1: yeah and everyone was, was it cold then i'm trying to remember if it was cold at the art party but i mean i guess the, But even if it was they were still out i don't know i don't the, uh, it's the one thing in this book that really threw me is because it just felt like i don't know for me And maybe it was just my reading of the clues leading up to it. It was like, oh, he went down there and killed himself. And so that he's like hidden away and he's not going to jail. So it just, I don't know. It just felt really weird. The like died from exposure thing felt totally inconsistent and strange.
0: Yeah, I agree. I didn't, I had to just kind of let it go as one of those things that just serves the greater plot. But because it was such a big thing, like it did wrap up some things like, for Noah the brother why his dad didn't, you know, love him enough to reach out. Well, he was dead. Like it just seemed and it was just too coincidentally perfect that she figures it out while they're accidentally there. I don't it just seemed to me like it's one of those again that I can't stand those plot points that are so pivotal on someone looking the wrong direction while <laughs> someone walks behind them unseen. Like it was just too god from the machine. Yeah,
1: and you almost wanted it to be like You know, maybe he slipped and fell off that lip or, you know, something that was more just freak accidental versus a slow death from exposure. (laughs) I don't know. It just seemed like he would have the wherewithal and the resources to not have that happen to him. But, you know, maybe he was just a really rich, comforted white dude who has no survival skills.
0: I guess. And how about suddenly Aza's like detective nose where she just realizes like, no, that's not normal stank. That's decomposition. Yeah, stuff. I know
1: me some dead it's bodies. It's not an when animal, I smell them. it's
0: a man. <laughs> that was like that's
1: the one part. And like, why is that at that, that point? Like, why doesn't that just throw her into a complete shitstorm of microbes and grossness? <laughs> yeah.
0: She won't like give somebody a kiss, but she can be she's sitting down there in the rat sewer station solving for a mystery. <laughs> Maybe that is what threw her over the edge. It did come afterwards. But yeah, I can't. I didn't like that part. I thought it was dumb. I had to overcome it to keep enjoying
1: it. Yeah, day. it was definitely one of those ones like, okay, I'll I'll give you a pass. I'm just going to keep plowing through. But I'm definitely mentioning this on the podcast.
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of Aza and her, um, again, all her microbes and facts, I hear you've dug up some more like microbial goodness for us. Yeah,
1: well, I didn't really dig it up so much as just took a note of it in the book. But when she has her little freak out from kissing Davis and she has to Wikipedia or Google, like, do, do you exchange microbes when you kiss and do they stay in your body? The results that she came up with, and I'm assuming that these are accurate, were that 80 million microbes are exchanged on average per kiss. After a six-month follow-up, human gut microbiomes appear to be modestly but consistently altered. So, yes, everyone that you have ever kissed is in some way, shape, or form living inside of you.
0: How do you feel about mm. that? Gross. <laughs> it makes me think of all those boys I didn't want to kiss in high school, but then I felt like saying no would like hurt their feelings, so I wouldn't go on a second date, but I was like, eh, I'll kiss you for a second. Yeah,
1: sure, right. i us just get it over with. Gross. Well, they're, Gross. they appreciate it and are making a nice little home in your belly.
0: Great. Every nerd I ever went out with. Because my mom was always like, it takes a lot of courage to ask out a girl. You are never allowed to say no. Aww. Thanks, mom. Um, Very sweet. Kind of. Aw, but kind well, you, of, you can say no to the kiss. I know. I think that I don't.
1: Maybe your mom I, needed to be I'll a little more explicit so with the rules.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So I'm going to swap microbes with you that will affect me for the rest of my life, but I don't want to make you feel bad.
1: Who knows? Maybe they gave you the good microbes.
0: Maybe. I like to think that I sucked all of their great microbes and then expelled all of my bum Yeah, like,
1: Sorry, guys. Joke's on you.
0: <laughs> but it's nice when you think about, uh, I assume it has to be a tongue kiss.
1: Yeah, probably. I don't think it's a little, like little a peck on the lips. Probably not so much. Maybe that's getting you like 10 microbes.
0: Yeah. It's kind of nice, I think. When you think of people that you uh, loved, that you kissed, yeah, that
1: you relationships kissed no that have you know similar to this one gone, sort of went their course, but no ill will, no hard feelings. It just wasn't the right person, the right time, and in a way, they're still with you. So that's kind of nice. Yeah,
0: they leave a little thumbprint yeah. on your your guts, <laughs> on your intestinal lining. Nice. Ah, friends. <laughs>
1: But speaking of that,
0: how'd you like the end of the book? I actually really liked the end of the book. I liked the little insights into her life to come where you can see that there's hope that happens. Um, Oh, it another part, again, that just broke my heart was when it was talking about, you know, not knowing that someday she will grow up and like fall in love and get married and have kids and then still get sick and have to go to the hospital despite how much she loves those kids. And then she'll get better and then get sick again. It's, I don't it was like the best and the worst ending because you know that there is such a joy that comes for her but then the heartbreak of I think being a parent and having that love for your children and then not being able to care for them in the capacity you'd like to so not only does she have great joy in store but some of the worst heartbreak that uh she can't even imagine I think at this point in her life.
1: Yeah, it was it was a good ending and really I don't know, it put me back in that place of high school and you know thinking about high school and just how rough it can be for everyone, and it is that notion of it gets better. But it also doesn't get a hundred percent better. Like there are days that are good and there are days that are shit. And yep, I think, but it is nice to know that when you're staring at the wall and thinking like there's no way it's ever going to get any better, that there are going to be good stretches, and on the whole, it looks like she did improve. And I like that there's a great line, and I forget what page it's on, but basically that um, the sentiment that, you know, she remained as a cohesive I, but on a conditional basis. So, like, her whole wrestling with her identity and, like, who's really in control, and is it me or is it these microbes? Like, you know, on the majority, she was like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's turtles all the way down. There's no real definitive answer to this. I'm just going to roll with it. And then, but there were also times where... You know, her suspicions got the better of her.
0: How amazing was the gift of the painting and the I stole this from a dinosaur? Oh, so that was good. The most perfect moment. Ah, yes. In the whole book, I was like, he will end up okay too. Like, there will be a point where he grows up and gets the girl because you can't be that guy and not earn yourself a happily ever after at some point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he moved to Colorado. So that's awesome.
0: I know that was awesome. Yeah, come on, hang out. And. And Aza and Daisy remain lifelong friends.
1: Yeah, that was nice.
0: It's what you want to happen when you're in high school or college or wherever and you have like that bosom friend. Like this is the thing. Like that's the ending you dream of.
1: Yeah, I like the John Green melancholy happily ever after ending where you still feel like you're left with hope and optimism, but it's not so golly gee shucks that it just feels like a total fairy tale. Like it feels real.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not bullshit. Like the only time in this whole book literally I called bullshit was that like death in the tongue. Yeah, what? But John, Everything what's up else rings very true. Yeah, I know. Maybe he has a better answer. I bet there's a Reddit thread somewhere.
1: Yeah. Be curious. Anyway, I think that wraps it up for Turtles All the Way Down. That was fun. It was a good read. It was hard to split it over two weeks because I think I literally read it before the last pod and then finished it afterwards.
0: Yeah, it w- <laughs> I should have planned that better. You too. I wish I had just finished it right before, but now I've been like sitting on these ideas for a week. So it was a rough one not to read in one go for sure. But now, now we got a big fat one coming up.
1: We are going to be back in December and in December. Our book will be <laughs> the Golem and the Genie by Helene Wecker. You picked it. Tell us that. Yeah, so this is my pick. It's actually been on my bookshelf for quite a while now on the to be red list. Um, it's in paperback now. It came, out in, da, 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 da. it came out in 2013, so it's a little bit older, but it's in paperback. So your hands will thank you.
0: It's a lovely book. I had a visceral reaction to this book when I bought it. It is. Just because it has... It feels like watercolor paper on the cover.
1: Yeah. And I think that might be part of why I picked it for our December read is it just has this like, it's like watercolor paper, this beautiful snowy New York scene on the cover and gilded with gold. Like it just feels like a December book, like something you want to curl up with, grab a blanket, some hot cocoa and go into another world.
0: Yeah, it does feel fantastic. Yeah.
1: And I'm just going to read the summary for because it's probably not a book most people have heard of. But on the inside flap, it says, With a delightful blend of the prosaic and the fanciful, the golem and the genie explores what it means to be human, as Chava and Ahmad struggle to live and find love while overcoming the powerful adversary who threatens to destroy them. And that's from Deborah Harkness, the author of Discovery of Witches. And the plot summary says, Chava is a golem, a creature made of clay, brought to life by a strange man who dabbles in dark, Kabbalistic magic. Ahmad is a genie, a being of fire, born of the ancient Syrian desert, trapped in an old copper flask by a Bedouin wizard centuries ago. He is released accidentally by a tinsmith in a lower Manhattan shop. Struggling to make their way in 1899 New York, the golem and the genie try to fit in with their immigrant neighbors while masking their true selves. Meeting by chance, they become unlikely friends whose tenuous attachment challenges their opposing natures, until the night a terrifying incident drives them back into their separate worlds. But a powerful menace will soon bring the golem and the genie together again, threatening their existence and forcing them to make a fateful choice. Marvelous and compulsively readable, the golem and the genie weave strands of folk mythology, historical fiction, and magical fable into a wondrously inventive and unforgettable tale.
0: Yeah, this is a light of fire, get a nice warm cocktail, and curl up with a blanket book.
1: Yeah, December. Perfect.
0: So we will be back on Wednesday, December 6th, and we'll discuss pages 1 through 158. So that's chapter 1 through chapter 10 of the golem and the... Do, is it G- genie? Like a I'm gonna, I'm, genie in so a bottle? It's and it's J-I-N-N-I.
1: G-I-N-N-I. And I'm going to say genie because that's just what makes sense to me. Um, if it was gin, D-J-I-N-N, which is another name for a genie, I would say Jin. Ginny just makes me think of Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Let's go. I'm genie. saying genie.
0: Um, All right. Genie it is. I like it. Yeah. But until then, we have a nice uh Thanksgiving holiday, which is a perfect time for you to escape your family and go lose yourself. Yeah. In this. Do book that. Hopefully. If you
1: need. Hopefully it's turkeys all the way down for everyone.
0: Oh, I would eat that. I mean, read that book. Yes.
1: So would I.
0: <laughs> Delicious. Um. Excellent. So thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening. And until next time, uh, happy Thanksgiving and happy reading.
1: Happy reading, guys. Bye. Bye.